Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you? So apparently, it's Thanksgiving this week. Who knew? It's 90 degrees outside this whole week, it seems like. Anyway, we have lots to be thankful for. We have lots to be thankful for. I hope, if you can't think of what to be thankful for, focus your attention on Jesus Christ, a gift from God our Father, our loving, caring Father that gave us His Son. Incredible. So thankful. Thankful for this church. Thankful for your love and for your prayers. It's good to be with you guys. Gosh, I love doing this, man. I love, love, love doing this. Last weekend, if you were here, pretty cool. Last weekend... I hoped last weekend was going to be special. It was remarkable. I was so ministered to by those readers and the worship team. It was remarkable. It was just a moment for me. All three services, just at different times for different reasons, I just was impacted heavily by the hand of God. And I hope you were as well. It was pretty special. So thank you for all those that contributed to last weekend. If you... um. I don't know if you're on our emailing list, but every week on Thursday we send out a an e-newsletter. And so we're pretty excited because we announced in that e-newsletter, and of course last week during our core leader meeting, um, that the elders and trustees have been working feverishly for a couple months, uh, vetting a a new addition to our staff. And so Rob Johnson uh, joined our staff this week, and uh, we're really pleased to have him join our team. This is Rob and his wife, Erin, and their daughter, Nora. Is Rob in here? Hey, hey, come on up. I want him to see you in person. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. Um, Rob's going to be the director of um, adult ministries, and our hope and expectation a few months down the road is to ordain him as a pastor of this church. So uh, get to know him uh, after service and in the weeks and months ahead and, and his wonderful family. Uh, a big blessing uh, to our church, and so we're thankful for him. So welcome. Yeah, thanks, Rob. One of my favorite things to do is to start a new book of the Bible. You know, we were in Psalms for about four or five months after uh, Pastor John retired. We did Psalms through December and early January, and then we were in the book of Mark uh, for almost ten months. Um, And now we're in the book of Galatians, and I love doing an overview of a book. Uh, it just excites me. I love God's Word. and um, I'm humbled that I, that I get to do this for a living um, and to spend the kind of time I spend each week uh, in, in the Lord's Word and just to be impacted in my study. And there's just so, so rich and so full, and, I, and it's just an incredible joy to, yeah, to do this with you. So thank you so much. Let me ask you this to get us started news. We all acquire the news on some level, right? How, how do you acquire the news? Newspaper? Do they make those anymore? Do they make newspapers? I had, I had a paper out when I was little. Did anybody else have a paper out when they were little? Right? My older brother had it, and then he gave it to my next older brother, and then it went to me. And I was probably like nine or ten, I think, when I had my paper out, and then you had to go collect. I hated collecting. I like throwing the paper. Like, that was kind of cool. Boom, under your leg, you know, behind your back, you know. It's like, eh, it's close enough. I hated it when it rained because you had to bag the papers, and that just slowed down the process, right? How do you acquire the news? Newspaper? 
online. That's how I do it. TV, radio. Perhaps we get news from one another. Do you know there's actually a chunk of population, the only news they get every week is from Saturday Night Live. Seriously, seriously. From that, uh, there's a segment called Weekend Update on SNL, and it's all news. They just, you know, have fun with it. Um, yeah, so how do you acquire the news? How often, how often do you acquire the news? A few times a day? Once per day? A few times a week? Once per week? What type of news do you typically find it to be when you acquire the news? Is it positive, mostly? Right? Is it negative, mostly? What kind of impact does that news, when I say news, what kind of impact does that have on your life? What kind of impact does the news tend to have upon your life? Compare that to something called the gospel. What does the gospel mean? The good news. Think about the news we acquire, how often we do it, and what it how it impacts our life. And compare that to the gospel, the good news of our God. How, how, same questions. How do you acquire that news? How do you acquire the news, the good news of the gospel? Do you daily read God's word? Do you spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ in a small group and study God's word? Do you read books, which is fantastic, Christian books? Do you listen to the radio, other pastors and teachers, so many gifted pastors and teachers? Do you come to church like this? That's fine too. That's perfect. How often, how often do you acquire the good news of God? A few times a day? Once per day? A few times a week? Once per week? A few times a month? Once per month? question. We already know the answer to this. What type of news will you find in the gospel? Good news. Every time. It's good news. Think about that. The good news, church, is that sinners can be forgiven and go to heaven because of what Jesus, the Messiah, did on the cross. That's good news for you. It's good news for me. It's good news for the world. It's the most important news the world can hear about every day and every moment. What kind of impact, same question, right? What kind of impact does, does the good news tend to have upon your life? How much do we let the news of the world impact our life compared to how much we let the good news of God's gospel impact our lives? I bet for some of us it's an imbalance that we should be proud of. Imagine someone trying to tell you and me and to convince you and me that the good news of the gospel is actually not good news. Would that bother you? It would bother me a lot. And that's what's happening in Galatians, church. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. We're only going to be in the first five verses. We're going to read it. I'm going to do an overview of the book of Galatians in the first half, and then we're only going to address verses 1 through 5. So let's read it first. Let's just read this introduction from Paul to the churches in Galatia. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that 
He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, to whom be the glory forevermore. And a perfect word to finish. Amen and amen. Let's remind ourselves what's taking place in in this book of Galatians. The Judaizers in Galatia both discredited Paul. They tried to destroy who he was. So they discredit Paul and they proclaim a false gospel. That's what's going on. They're going to discredit Paul and try to replace his gospel, the true gospel, with a false gospel. Destroy him, destroy the message, destroy the messenger, destroy the message. That's what they did. So Paul must defend both his apostleship and his gospel message. These Judaizers are telling the churches in Galatia that they must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. These false teachers are spreading a false gospel, which is a mixture of law and grace. A mixture of law and grace. And Paul is not going to stand by and do nothing about it. He's going to do something about it. I wonder, church, how many Christians today mix other things into the totally sufficient grace of God as displayed in His Son, Jesus Christ. We can't do that. We can't add Yeah, I got Jesus and I sprinkled in a little bit of this, took a little bit of that away, and it's perfect. No, that's not the gospel. That's bad news. That's bad news. That's not the good news of Jesus Christ. What else has crept into our life and mixed in with God's grace? God's perfect. His grace is perfectly displayed through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And He was resurrected on the third day. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 12.9. What a great verse. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says that he has said to me, Paul writes, that Jesus said to me that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. That Greek word sufficient is archaeo. It means satisfied. Completely satisfied. Listen, church. Outside of the grace of God, we will never be satisfied. That's what that verse means. His grace completely satisfies us. Outside of His grace, none of us can be completely satisfied. It can't happen. It's not the way we were designed to be. He created us to be in fellowship with Him through the grace that He extends to us. Outside of that, we'll never experience His peace. Outside of His grace. We will never be satisfied outside of our Lord. It can't happen. And you hear about it all the time that people pursue things that were meaningless. And as, it, as I think Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity is all is vanity. I've done it all, had it all, seen it all, been there, done that. And it's all void, it's all empty. I'm never satisfied, he writes. We cannot be satisfied outside of our Lord. His grace is sufficient for us. And we try to sprinkle on and take away so many things. Lord, help us. So Paul emphasizes again that salvation is a gift from God. This gift comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not from human works. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
to add anything to that will only discredit the work and name of Jesus Christ and actually becomes no gospel at all. You can't take the gospel and sprinkle things or take away things and call it the gospel. And Paul says that in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. Check it out. I am amazed, right? I'm shocked, like, I can't believe this, that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. You can't take good news and twist it in any way, shape, or form and take away from who Christ is for us. That's not a gospel. That's bad news, church. And that's what's happening in the book of Galatians. Paul will show that salvation by works fails. Here's a question. True or false? Information changes lives. True. Information changes lives. True or false? True. Information changes lives. Truth is powerful. Mess with that information and you mess with people's lives. And that's what's going on for Paul. You're messing with information. You're messing with truth. And you're messing with people's lives. Should Paul be a little defensive? You bet. You bet. It's one of the things that we're most keen on, K-E-E-N, is that right? Keen, as elders of this church, is man, don't mess with the truth of God's Word. Don't mess with the truth of God's Word. That's the centerpiece of this church, is Jesus Christ and God's inerrant Word. Yeah, amen. Paul's kids, Paul's kids, the churches that he founded and the people that he felt responsible for were at risk of receiving false information that could change their very lives. Salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ was a non-negotiable for Paul. As I mentioned last week, it was a hill that he would die to defend. And so Paul is furious. He's angry. He's ready for a fight. And I'm going to show you that in a second. So Paul, why the severity? Why is Paul so severe in his language and in this letter? If the Galatians were to seek salvation apart from faith alone in Jesus Christ, they would never find it. They would never find it. That's what he needs them to know. So after his greeting, Paul wastes no time on thanksgivings, which he gives in all of his other 12 letters. He doesn't do that in Galatians. And he jumps right into the problem. And it makes me wonder, what part of our lives, if the Holy Spirit were Paul, what part of our lives would the Holy Spirit want to kind of skip the customary greetings and say, Jeff, Yeah, 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 it's nice to see you, but we need to talk about this. Right? John, good to see you. I don't have time for Thanksgiving. We need to talk about that. I venture to say that many of us here, God's been wanting to talk to us about something for a long time. Oh, we love the pleasantries, we love the greetings, but he pushes the pleasantries and the greetings aside and says, Church, we need to talk. This is a problem. Do we allow people to do that in our lives? Do we allow people to say, Alvin, I love you, but we need to talk about something. I've shared this before. Somebody did that to me when I was a 21-year-old man. He was a pastor. And he said, you need to get that corrected. And I did. Changed my life. I didn't necessarily give him access to my life, but he took it. And I was thankful for that. That he was bold enough to say, you need to get this corrected in your life. Changed my life. So Paul wastes no time. He gets right to the problem. I think God wants to get to the problem with us on some issues as well. 
John MacArthur, I, I, I read this last week. I want to show it today. He writes this about Galatians. He says, The book of Galatians has been conferred with such titles as the Magna Carta of Spiritual Liberty, the Battle Cry of the Reformation, and the Christian's Declaration of Independence. It's beautiful. It is clearly the Holy Spirit's charter of spiritual freedom for those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Galatians proclaims to you and I today, Galatians proclaims to our generation that salvation from the penalty and the power of sin comes not by works, but by grace through faith in the Lord's provision. What's the Lord's provision? Or who's the Lord's provision? Jesus. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave, He provided for us, his only begotten Son, so that we should not perish but have everlasting life if we put our belief and trust in Him. That's the Lord's provision. It has nothing to do with us. God knows how to perfectly provide for us. Many church historians maintain that the foundation of the Reformation was laid on the writing of Martin Luther's commentary on the Epistle of Galatians. The great German reformer said this. Martin Luther said, I love it. The epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it I am, as it were, in wedlock. Isn't that great? Don't take away my freedom found only in Christ. I'm married to that idea. Good for Martin Luther. In Galatians, Luther discovered God's plan of salvation by grace. That God's plan of salvation is by grace working through faith. A plan unyieldingly contrary to the thousand-year-old Roman Catholic teaching of salvation by works. And that's what started the Reformation. And listen to this. Finally, from a more practical standpoint, I believe if Paul were here today, and we said, Paul, take the pulpit. From the book of Galatians, Paul, what do you want us to take away? I think one of Paul's chief concerns, church, would be that some Christians would pick and choose what they want to believe. I think that would be one of Paul's biggest concerns through the book of Galatians that he would share to us today is don't pick and choose what you want to believe. That's a slippery slope. That's happening today. It's happening in the church or in churches. Churches that pick and choose what they want to believe. We're not going to do that here. We can't. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe and Paul would want us to know that. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love your word. We're excited about what you wrote through Paul to the churches in Galatia. We pray, Lord, that you do in our lives exactly what you desire to do. Lord, have your way with us this morning. And we ask all this in the mighty and perfect name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. So, a couple overview things. The author of this letter is Paul, the Apostle. What do we know about Paul? Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Turn to Philippians 3. It's just a little to your right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. This really kind of sets the tone or sets the table a little bit for Paul's credibility and in, in, in what he has to say in Galatians. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Paul wants to safeguard the church. We as elders want to safeguard the church and constantly remind you of the truth of God's Word. Verse 2, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision. As we worship in 
Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put zero confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else had the mind to put confidence in the flesh, I, Paul, far more. Why? I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, top of the class, top of the food chain, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But (laughs) whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I love this. I count them but rubbish. What do we do with trash? We get rid of trash so that I may gain Christ. Everything compared to Christ is rubbish. And may be found in Him, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through Christ, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Why? In order that I may attain to eternal life, the resurrection from the dead. Paul knows what he's talking about. Paul spoke of legalism firsthand. Paul spoke of legalism firsthand because he had firsthand experience in legalism. That's what he writes in Philippians 3. And so then he also speaks or spoke of grace from firsthand experience. Paul had firsthand experience of legalism, and now Paul has firsthand experience of grace. He knows what he's talking about. More than any other apostle, he understood the bondage of the law and the freedom of grace. Galatians 5.1, which we'll read later, says, it was for freedom, Paul writes, that Christ set us free. It's kind of a redundant statement, but it's an important statement. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. This letter of Galatians was written about A.D. 50. Among the 13 New Testament letters, how many New Testament letters are there? 27. Of the 13 of the 13 New Testament letters that Paul wrote, Galatians is perhaps the second in influence behind Romans. Probably the book of Galatians or the letter to the churches in Galatia was probably written from Antioch in Syria. Antioch, if you know, played an important role in the book of Acts and the early church. Acts 11 gives details of Barnabas and, and Paul's teaching Uh, at the church in Antioch. In Acts 11, the term Christian or Christians was used for the very first time in the Antioch church. In Acts 13, it records that the first missionaries were sent from the church in Antioch. Of course, the recipients, Acts 13 and 14, reveals to us that Paul and Barnabas established four churches in the province of Galatia. It was in uh, Antioch, uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And so Paul, as it would make sense, Paul always had a loving concern and desire to see the churches that he helped found glorify God. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Really neat verse about Paul's care for his churches. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren. It was always on Paul's heart. Return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. I love Paul's heart. It's a little bit heavier in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, where Paul writes, 
apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's a reality. As a pastor, as one of the pastors of this church, there's a pressure, there's a daily pressure that we, I, uh, experience. And the elders and the trustees as well, as the men that guard and trust this church in, in the Word of God. And many of you pray for us pastors and elders and trustees, and so thank you. I really appreciate that. We covet your prayers. And if you're not praying for us, I would ask that you consider doing so. Whatever you can offer up for us, we appreciate We love you. We want to protect this church. Some key verses to help set the tone. I love doing this. Check this out. Go back to Galatians 1. We're going to kind of flip through a couple verses here to really get the tone of this letter. Check out verses uh, 6 through 9 in chapter 1. 6 through 9. Paul writes... (laughs) You know, I don't know how you would receive this, right? If you're reading this letter and it's written to you, think about that, right? This is, this is tough stuff. Paul loves his people. He needs to protect God's word. Paul writes, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That still goes on today, church. I said that last week. God's truth has been under attack since Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent said, did God really say? Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's serious stuff. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Check out chapter 3, verse 1. Wow! Chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians. How many people do we allow to talk to us like that? I don't know who's more twisted at this point. The, the hearers or the writer? It's got to be rough, right? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Wow! before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Look at chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved? all over again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Boy, that must be rough. Look at verses 19 and 20, also in chapter 4. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I hope as a pastor that I am able to help that process to form Christ in me and in you. With whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with... Uh, I, already, I already did that, right? Oh, no. Yeah, 1920. I'm sorry. But I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. Such an interesting letter. I love it. Look at chapter 5, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, church. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I say to you that if you have received circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. 
you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen by grace or from grace. And then look at verses 7 and 8. <laughs> you were running well. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. I bet you, I bet you, there's a good chunk of us here that's, that right now we're not doing so well in our, in our run. Right? You were running so well, it says. Who hindered you? Isn't that what verse 7 says? You were running well. I was doing so good in my walk with the Lord, in my run with the Lord, in my journey with the Lord, and you're not doing that right now. That's not true today. What hindered you? What got in the way of that? How do we let those things happen? It happens often. If we've walked with the Lord for any period of time, we have those times, it seems like, where we get hindered. And then lastly, look at verses 13 and 14 from chapter 6. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. John MacArthur says this about Galatians. He, he writes, from Galatians 1.6 <laughs> all the way to the benediction in, in chapter 6, verse 18, he says, the letter is a flashing sword wielded by a burning heart. So true. I love it. All right, Galatians 1 through 5. So we hit these verses as we wrap up our time. Let's read Galatians 1, verses 1 through 5 again. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Paul's opening, his, his um, salutation is both typical and atypical. And I mentioned that already. The salutation includes the usual identification of the author, the recipients, together with a customary greeting, but the usual expression of thanksgiving and praise is totally absent. He jumps into the problem. In verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, and he gives some credentials. Not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him. So he plunges right into one of his major concerns, and that is that his apostolic credentials have been challenged, and he's not happy about that. Though Paul was not one of the original twelve, Paul is nonetheless equally an apostle. The word apostle, just so you know, means one who was sent with a commission. It brings authority and refers to a person who has a right to speak for God. Paul was chosen and trained by Jesus Christ to proclaim his truth during the formative early years of the church. Jesus had many disciples, of which we are some. And a disciple is a follower or a learner and from those disciples, he selected 12 apostles, which we read about in Mark chapter 3. It's also in Luke chapter 6, verse 13. Yes, we have that. And when day came, Jesus called his disciples to him and chose 12 whom he also named as apostles. 
Paul, as you know, was neither a disciple nor an apostle during Christ's earthly ministry. But he had seen the risen Lord and was commissioned by him in Acts chapter 9. Great chapter. Read it. Verse 2 says, All the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, joining with Paul in the sending, not the writing, but in the sending of this letter were all the brothers and sisters with him. These were the apostles' fellow workers, like Barnabas, as well as prophets and teachers with whom Paul did ministry in Antioch. And the mentioning of these co-laborers emphasized the fact that the teachings of this letter, this epistle, were not peculiar um, to Paul, but were held in common with other men and women of God. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a traditional Greek and Hebrew greeting. Grace and peace were a part of all of Paul's 13 letters. Grace and peace. And he mentioned grace and peace to express the hope that all of us might be sustained daily by grace and peace. Do you experience daily God's grace and God's peace? That's what Paul wants for us. Grace and peace. And so he greets us as such. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our source of grace, our source of peace is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only place we'll find it. Grace and peace find its source in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you'll find grace and peace. And I think over time we've come too easily, uh, we've come to easily and quickly forget the promise and the value of these words. It's like it becomes church words, like, hey, grace and peace, yeah, grace and peace to you too, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go grab breakfast, grace and peace. And we just kind of, you know, we, we do the Christianese language stuff, right? Grace and peace, yeah, whatever. And we lose the promise, we lose the value of these words. But they're inseparable. Those words are inseparable. Raise your hand if you don't want peace in your life. Raise your hand if you do want peace. That's much more fun. We all want peace. But grace and peace find their source in God and Jesus Christ. No other place. Key to peace, we all want peace. The key to peace is God's grace. They go together. The key to peace is God's grace. Okay, that's fine, Pastor Mark. What is God's grace? What does it look like? Let me give you a few. God's grace looks like Jesus the Messiah. God's grace comes in the form of Jesus, the Messiah, that died for you and I. Because grace is something that's given to us that we don't deserve. Mercy is not giving us something that we do deserve. Okay? So grace looks like the person of Jesus, the Messiah. Grace looks like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to help lead us and guide us and comfort us. Grace looks like the Word of God. This is a tangible thing. This is what grace looks like. Grace looks like the ability to drop to our knees and pray to our God because when Jesus died, the temple veil tore in two and we had access to the creator of the universe. Grace looks like you guys, the church. God gave us the church 
to pour into one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to lift, it, lift each other's arms up when we're tired and weary. That's a grace that God gives us. And so when we don't experience God's peace, it's because we're not experiencing His grace. We're not in the Word. We're not in prayer. We're not all those things I listed, right? Focusing on Jesus. We're not involved in the church. God has poured out His grace on us so that we can live in peace. And so many Christians are not in peace because they're not experiencing the grace of God. They go together, church. We want peace, but we must know and not forsake in the grace of God that He's given to us so lavishly. Our loving and caring Lord has provided these things through His grace that we may have peace. If you're not experiencing His peace, it's an almost certainty that you are not experiencing His grace. C.S. Lewis writes this, great quote about grace. He says, God gives his gifts where he finds the vessel empty enough to receive them. And so sometimes our lives, God's trying to get his graces into our life. Right? And our lives are like, and God's like trying like, you know, it's just crazy. It's mayhem. That's what I'm trying to portray, Jeff. Right? And God's trying to find a way in. But he gives his gifts where he finds the vessel empty enough to receive them. We don't make room for the graces of God in our lives. In our lives. And so what happens then, the Lord loves us enough to then sometimes empty us of that stuff. And that hurts. It seems painful because it is painful. But it's an expression of God's love because he wants to fill us with his graces so we can experience his peace. And so he empties us. Anybody here been emptied more than once? Isn't it awesome? It really is, right? It's really awesome. What's that saying? God knocks us on our back because sometimes that's the only way we look up. Some of you have never heard that before. All right. That's great. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God. From the very beginning of this letter, in verse 4, Paul gives the gospel message in verse 4. The gospel centers on a person. It's the first word of verse 4. Who? That's Jesus Christ. Who? That's the person. This is the gospel message. The gospel centers in a person. Who is Jesus Christ? This person paid a price. Those are the next words. Who? Jesus. Paid a price. Gave himself for our sins. That's the price. His life for your life. His life for my life. That's the price. That person who gave himself for us. That's the price he paid. His perfect life for our sinful, starred, ugly life. And he paid, this person paid this price for a purpose. And that's in verse 4-2. What's the purpose? So that. When you see so that, pay attention. And when you read scripture, so that, or therefore, pay attention. So that, that's the purpose. So that he might rescue us from evil. So this person paid a price because he had a purpose to rescue us from something nasty and ugly. 
the gospel message is an emancipating, liberating, freeing, releasing, unshackling message. It rescues us from the power of the present world system and just as certainly as it delivers us from eternal judgment. Are you rescued completely? Are you rescued completely? Does the present evil age still have a grip on you? We are Christians, which means we're to be Christ-like. And so verse 4 tells us that we are to be a person that, pay, that will pay a price for God's purpose. If our Savior was a person who paid a price for a purpose, and we're to be Christ-like, then we are to be people willing to pay a price for God's purposes and to flush our purposes down the toilet where they belong because they're rubbish, as Paul writes in Philippians 3. We make too much of this world. We make too much of our purposes and not enough of God's. And so it's a tall order. I say that all the time. It's a tall order to be the church. And lastly, verse 5. To whom be the glory? To God. That's the whom. To God be the glory forevermore. These false teachers were not ministering to the, or for the glory of Christ, but for their own glory, which Galatians 6 talks about. We don't have time. But Paul's motive was pure. He would only glorify the Lord. Look at, go to your left, look at 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. We're just going to read verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so when you go back to Galatians, this is what I see in these five, this five-verse introduction in Galatians. I see the word Paul, and then I see the ending, verse 5. Paul, blah, 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 to the glory forevermore of our God. Jeff, blah, 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 for the glory of God. Avery, blah, 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 for the glory of God. Layla, blah, 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 for the glory of God. Put your name in there. Whoever for the glory of God. Pastor Mark, blah, 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 for the glory of God. We're going to close in a song. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I want you to turn with me. We're going to, we're going to close in prayer together. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Turn to Matthew 16. And then keep in mind, when we're done, when the worship team is done with our closing song, our prayer team is always available to pray with you if you would like prayer after service. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Matthew 6, I'll read that first line, and then let's read out loud together as we close our time first part of verse 9 says, Pray then in this way, and together, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everyone said... Amen. Thank you, guys.